0: Hey guys, this is Sean Cannon. You may know me better as Karate's Bad Boy. I'm hanging out with Zach and Dustin. If you're not, then you're Karate's a joke.
2: Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats! You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s
1: movies, and
3: sometimes
2: 90s, and soundtracks from our youth. And then we
1: interview our favorite people who help make them all in this spirit of nostalgic positivity.
2: Thanks for listening.
0: For centuries, the society of the Black Dragon has sanctioned an ancient rite of combat known as the Kumite. Open only to the world's most lethal warriors. It has never been won by a Westerner. You are not Japanese. I can do it now. For the first time, the true story of America's super agent, Frank Dukes, can be revealed. Uncle Sam can't afford to let you get hurt. I'm going to Uncle. Frank is going to fight in the Kumite and we're here to stop him. An awesome human weapon. It hurts me just looking at. it. Who infiltrates the Chinese underworld? I did not come this far to stop now. Take it. To enter a forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in strict rules, no press? You telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style, every worthy opponent, every deadly technique, flash in savage combat to separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. Now I break you. International martial arts sensation, Jean-Claude Van Damme. In Bloodsport. The true story of the ultimate champion.
1: This is our 100th episode. Oh my
2: God, it is. It is. I, wow. You know, I didn't come prepared knowing that. For some you reason, 100 episodes. We've been doing this for 100 episodes,
3: That's
1: 100 amazing. episodes. And uh, joining us is Paul London, professional wrestler, brother of Jonathan London from Geekscape. <laughs> I think Jonathan's very hurt that we don't we didn't have him on first. Yes.
2: <laughs> Sorry,
3: he might so he's never been on before.
2: No, nope. We. Messed up a little bit. Jonathan, we love Jonathan. Jonathan, we love you. If you're listening to this, we love you. Jonathan is the godfather of Geekscape. He keeps everything running, pays all the taxes and bills on time. Um, we have not had Jonathan on. Jonathan was very concerned today that I was, he was like, don't give my brother any of your groaners. And I was like, do you mean my testicles? And he's like, No. <laughs> You're groaners, you know, we're just make fun of you for all the groaners that you say. So I'm going to try not, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to try not to do it. And if I've already done it, then it's too
3: late. I I welcome all groaners. I don't know what they are, yeah. but they sound fun.
2: Okay. That's not a London family thing that you guys are like, you always know about the groaners or don't do the groaners?
3: I don't think so. Okay. But I clearly wasn't paying attention. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the hell's It sounds like a long night on the toilet. It does. it does
2: it does all all the noises come out on a long night in the toilet so we're really happy to have you here how are you feeling
3: yeah no i'm um i'm awake i'm feeling much better no bandages on the head i'm out of the hospital uh ray jackson keeping it alive i had no idea he was even in the sequel i had no i've never seen the sequel
1: i didn't know that either until i looked up the cast because i've never seen the sequel as well
3: whoa right.
2: oh, this is shocking Zach, I thought you were going to pull it out. Like, you, like You're you just going to pull up the VHS right now. You just have it right <laughs> behind you. That's normally how this goes, Paul, to be clear.
1: I was going to pull up interactive cards because I have
2: a Ray Jackson oh.
1: baseball card Oh uh, yeah. courtesy of Phantom Cardboard. I'm going to be doing that throughout the episode. So for everyone listening, sorry, you'll have to go to our Instagram page and see pictures of uh, the Bloodsport cards that I own.
2: But he, he wasn't playing baseball. I want to be clear to the audience. Ray Jackson was not playing baseball. It was a... It was a card of him in Bloodsport. Uh, Yes. It would be funny if it was like also like Photoshop that he was, he's super bloody.
3: The beautiful Donald Gibb. I ate your pal Dickface. Funny enough, went to college on a basketball scholarship. And then I think he played football or something at San Diego, but played basketball at university of New Mexico on a scholarship. And then went to uh, San Diego, transferred to San Diego where I think, I don't know. I think he's originally from, Oh no, He went to Notre Dame high school in Sherman Oaks. I saw. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a Valley kid. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: look at Paul's bringing the, bringing the heat with the facts already. Look at <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> well, Paul, I, really quick. I was going to say the that Dustin and I first saw you in the ring at oh, a taping no. of Lucha underground uh, wow. way back when. And it was, I think, Dustin, was that your first foray into the wrestling world? Like actually seeing a live event?
2: Okay, so let me be, let me, let me go back. So I think this was, was this like 2016 maybe? Yeah, I believe so. Right. So we, uh, yeah, it was my first foray into that. Uh, We saw, I think we saw the finale or the the finale of a certain season. It was like.
1: Like three episodes.
2: It was the most insane, bloodied mess I have ever encountered. And we were like right in the front row and the liquid started flying. And I was like, this is like real liquid. This are human. These are human bodily fluids. There's like blood, sweat, you know, this could be feces. I don't know. It's flying around and glass was breaking. It was, yeah, it was like a
3: different form of
2: Gallagher. I mean, yeah. R.I.P. to Gallagher, yes. man. If he was there, he would look like so. Like he would look. Yeah, he would look like nothing. Nothing.
1: He'd come on, and go where are your garbage bags for your bods. Come on, guys.
2: <laughs> Who's got garbage it, bags? It was a, a physical feat. Of it was. It was. Inc- it was incredible. Well, you you're
1: talking about the A.R. Fox match where it was like a it was a, a hardcore.
3: Yeah, that was my. I I was the I was the producer on that match. Uh, oh, a, you were. Something warfare or something match. I can't remember what it was. Him and um Kill Shot.
1: Killshot, yeah. Yeah, that was a tremendous match. I, I actually there's a gif of Dustin and I having these looks on our faces it's like, oh god no, oh god no. <laughs> that my <laughs> <Yeah>. wife took.
3: <laughs> it's pretty insane. Those those guys in particular are pretty incredible athletes. So you produced that match? Yeah, that was I was uh I was originally brought on uh for season two and then i was hurt in an independent match and so i couldn't really do anything in the ring and they wanted to bring me on um as a backstage uh agent producer as well and that helped me get my feet kind of uh, really into what i was doing because i had never done worn the, the the headset the that Na- the nascar headset and done all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> comes you back know. around yeah this is coming up here we need like a camera here camera you know whatever it is um so i was producing a lot of the matches uh and then i was also helping with the writing in terms of the storylines uh and then i started as a on-camera character and did that so i was doing kind of double duty uh for season three and four and um yeah it was fun it was it was, I definitely prefer that to getting the, the liquids and stuff thrown on me.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah.
3: Yeah, unless it's watermelon. Uh. <laughs> hey, guys.
1: <laughs> Not that Gallagher talks like that, but uh. he might.
0: Why do they call them cowboys? Cows is girls, bulls is boys. <laughs> Ought to be cow girls and bull boys. <laughs> Why do they call a statue a bust when it stops right before the part it'd be named after? Why do they call them buildings when they're already done building them? Ought to call them built. Why do they call it a TV set when you only get one? And why do they call a woman's prison a penal colony?
3: I saw something where he was pissed at... Like, I, I was, I, I got into this weird carrot top, uh, bunch of interviews not too long ago. Like, right, right as I started getting back into wrestling again, because I was having all these kind of issues with, uh, performing again. You're like, yeah. I need some
2: inspiration, some prop comedy.
3: I mean, but, he, but <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah. And, and so I was listening to these carrot top interviews. And, but he was, it was just because he, you know, for the longest time was, just the butt of all jokes and he was getting just shit on for any reason but then it was just kind of how he got through a lot of that mentally so it actually did help a lot uh listening to him i thought he was pretty fascinating it's not maybe prop comedy isn't really my thing but anyways he was talking about how gallagher accused him of stealing all his stuff like they were cool at one time and he was writing a lot of jokes for gallagher um and then out of the blue gallagher was kind of like you bastard like you stole my my whole stick and like just uh, kind of uh, big hill turn on him so whoa. i thought that was interesting yeah i didn't even know gallagher had like i think a twin brother um, yes right yeah so that was yeah it was it was crazy i believe i think i watched like an inside
1: edition or something and they're like gallagher's twin brother speaks out he never <laughs> included me in my in his comedy you know, something like that.
3: Identical. Were they both performing or like he was kind of like, Well that was actually me up there, you know, or was it was he not? I can't I didn't get the gist of it. I don't
1: know if he was a performer, but I think like he he was accusing they had a falling out too, I believe. And he was accusing his brother of basically taking his own ideas and applying them or something like that you know it's like the person back in the day who's like i wrote the script the liar liar it's right here see i wrote this before the movie came out and i'm gonna take them to court and you're like whoa yo liar liar writer speaks out on inside edition
3: yeah see i was thinking it might be more like the the little girl in pet cemetery uh the original pet cemetery because she was a twin and they used both of them to get around Child labor, uh, timings, things like you know, wow, you going want a certain amount of hours. So there's like, bring in her twin. Well, here's the other one. So, whoa, yeah.
1: And all I know is the kid in Pet Cemetery, the the little
3: yeah, Miko Hughes.
1: Yeah, Miko Hughes. He was a my former teaching partner was his kindergarten teacher. Oh wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. And he'd be like, I have to, I can't come in tomorrow. I'm gonna be on set. A <laughs> that's life, a good Miko part...
3: Hughes. Part... Oh, thanks. Because <laughs> yeah. I am
1: Miko Hughes now.
3: He's like a really successful beekeeper now, I think. Is it's he? A... Yeah. Like he, his company or something provides a lot of the honey to what? the greater LA area. I think. Oh, that's rad.
2: That's rad. I love yeah. that little fun fact. How did you learn that fact?
3: I met him at a convention, and he was super cool, and um, we just – we were talking and i guess also the um the the cat like the rocket ship and new nightmare that he climbs up on top of um i guess when they were done with production i don't know if it was someone in his family or just production but he basically owns that rocket like it's in his backyard now oh cool um (laughs) yeah but he's yeah he's like apparently he's a beekeeper it's
2: filled with bees but it's
3: in this backyard yeah 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 i mean i would yeah that would be Go ahead and climb it.
1: <laughs> There's so many nightmares that can be induced from that. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Like um, yeah, so do I, I and thank God we have
3: them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's definitely prefer to wasps.
1: But right. So are you? You're a, Are you drinking from a bloodsport mug? By the way. I wish. No. It's.
3: Okay. It's sadly. I just pulled this this British <laughs> mug out. And oh, it's, okay. It has my name on it because I'm such a mark for myself. Um, <laughs> no, but I am wearing a Bruce Lee t shirt. Excellent, okay, Weird. excellent. That's uh, the cool. true inspiration for all of this.
1: Well, you know, he was an inspiration for apparently a lot of Chong Lee's dialogue, uh, and it was kind of reworked and tweaked throughout the movie, but a lot of it is from Enter the Dragon, allegedly. If you look in if you go to Onda IMDB with their trivia facts, it says yeah. a lot of what Chong Lee says is actually what Bruce Lee was saying in the uh in Enter the Dragon.
3: That before he was dubbed
1: or this is this is after the four like the, things the, the, he says. Like this, the
3: four neck. things he says
2: in this movie were inspired by an
1: track. <laughs> they were like boards hit boards don't break hit back or whatever he said that line. Oh you
3: yeah, know? that's that's actually good. That's yeah. true.
1: Very good. But break,
0: not hit back. You are next. You break my record. Now I break you. Like I break your friend.
3: Very good.
1: First of all, the fact that you're, or second of all, uh, the fact that you're on our show is huge and it's an honor to have you on. Third
3: of all, third of all. And third
1: of all,
2: third of
3: all now. (laughs) Um,
1: And also this being our 100th episode. Yeah, Dustin, you and I have been doing this for (laughs) four years now. And who would have thought that Bloodsport from 1988 would be our one hundredth episode. I mean we kind of figured it would. I be, know.
2: Man. We always said that when we hit one hundred episodes we would stop. So this is catching me really off guard that it's oh, our last no. episode. So it's even more special. I'm and uh because yeah. we've already
1: recorded two more episodes after oh, this one, Oh man,
2: so. this is yeah, incredibly awkward. Sorry. So but martial arts madness, um in all seriousness, <laughs> martial arts madness. No, this is really um this is every March we we devote the entire month to to the martial arts films of the 80s um and we are thrilled to have you on paul to discuss 1988's blood sport yes and now we must bow uh <laughs> and, and so what is your connection to this film what does this film mean to you
3: wow um it's uh i don't know if calling it the citizen kane of martial arts films is accurate i mean it that's fine i i started martial arts at a young age i i i wish it was something that i still did every day in my life um but throughout my entire life martial arts has always been something that i've always gravitated to and always loved and when i was younger uh i'm guessing maybe around this movie came out in what 88? 88 88 um, april of 88 yeah yeah um I probably saw it not too long after when I was around 10. Um, my mom, she was dating a a karate man <laughs> at the time. Are you karate like... man? Yeah. Well, the thing is, he looked he looked similar to um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but from uh, Bruce Lee's Chinese connection, the the burly guy with the suspenders. Oh, is it Bob Wall. I think it was Bob. but wow. was No, Bob Ball was game of death, right? Maybe it was yeah. Bob Ball. Man, that's embarrassing. But he he was this big burly guy, and he was a bodyguard for some old rich lady or something. And But he um, Whoa. really introduced me to martial arts uh, that wasn't just karate at the YMCA, Daniel LaRusso style.
1: Gotta take karate, Mom!
3: Yeah, yeah, learning from a book. Yeah. Um, and so he really opened up the door for me in terms of exposing me to just to Bruce Lee, to all these martial arts films. And Bloodsport was, was definitely one of them. And it, it stood out to me for so many reasons. Um, I mean, I, I love Bruce Lee. I think anyone who, who enjoys martial arts feels the same way. But as a young kid coming up, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Cause you're thinking like, Oh, I don't look like him. I don't sound like him. I could I can't be him. Whereas you see, um, I guess more of a relatable, as crazy as that seems that you would think you you're relatable to Jean-Claude Van Damme at a young age. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, but I think it was just the, the variety of characters, even though, you know, I guess enter the dragon would be kind of the first real big kind of tournament film, even though, yeah, um, you know. But I but I feel like as though blood sport. It was definitely my first, probably my first canon film that I ever saw, um, which really ramped it up in terms of just the the, the characters, you know. Just mm. you know, I think just even from the beginning, you know, because you're you're witnessing just kind of the slight backstory on so many of the characters that you're about to see participating in this, in the whole film. So yeah. you're seeing this, this monkey guy flying through the tree and like cutting a coconut. And like, that was always one of my absolute favorite little <laughs> clips. Um, You know, seeing the sumo guy, you know, I, I mean, if if Bloodsport wasn't the inspiration for what became Street Fighter 2, I mean, I know that the Franks, Frank Duke's character obviously was the inspiration for Johnny Cage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, if that wasn't the inspiration for Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, I mean, I don't know what what else it would have been, because this was really just the variety of characters. I think this was the first real tournament movie that had just all these characters, because even with End of the Dragon, they were all in uniforms mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the only ones that really were very different were obviously um bolo young and um and again bob i think bob wall right One bob was wall he? yeah yep. yeah with the big scar and stuff so but jim kelly and john saxon like there five right jim kelly is incredible just uh, he was my favorite character in that whole film actually same yeah he was uh someone i have a jim kelly t-shirt <laughs> But this was before I got exposed to the black exploitation stuff that he did later. I mean, this was my first Jim Kelly. But I knew John Saxon from like Nightmare on Elm Street already. Yeah. And things like that. But um, yeah, I was probably 10 and I, I just loved it. And it was just so quotable. I mean, that's something like we mentioned uh, just in messaging, just how quotable this film is. You're going
1: to call the cops?
3: Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I mean, Whoever cast that kid. I can't remember. I saw his name on something and it was like it was like young Frank or something and I he's obviously French or something. He he just has this look on his face and the way he sounded. I mean I thought he there was something wrong with him and I and I didn't quite understand that until later that it was like, no, they just cast this weird French kid.
1: Well it's it is odd because he well, he's also wearing a I know people with other He's also wearing a San Francisco Giants hat in a a New York Giants football jersey. And Dustin, I want to ask you, being a Giants fan, how offended were you by the fact that (laughs) he's wearing two different sports teams? But I think maybe, who knows if they were trying to like, ah, no one's going to notice. They're both Giants. Um, What was your feeling on that?
2: Well, I was so, honestly, I was so distracted by everything else that was happening that that was kind of like a, a, a minor thing. And, um, I guess, well, b- before we get into this movie, I, cause I, cause I do want to dig, dig in, dig in a little bit with all that. And that kid who reminded me of, of what's his from, um, he looks a little like the, the kid from a Bronx tale, uh, whose name, oh yeah. um, uh, the, the main guy, what's his name? Lilo Brancato is the actor. Um, yes. but, uh, but I was so distracted, honestly, by the fact that every, every character is 80 in this movie. Like, yeah. and it's so, it's so blatant. And I was almost like, so when that happened, I was like, I was like, I got, I got to figure out why, why everyone is, is why, why the dialogue is all replaced here. I don't, I don't understand this and why it's so evident. And it comes in so much louder. Like the mix is not good. So, so the giants was almost, it was like a small after, th- I'm like, Oh, he's wearing giant. Who cares? But it was like, you know, <laughs> hello, like what's, you know, you're going to call the cut. Like it was so crazy. Everything <laughs> You didn't flinch. You have fighting spirit.
1: You're not gonna call the cops?
0: Not if we make a deal.
1: What kind of a deal?
2: <laughs> I was very fascinated by the audio guys that may have been there or not there. I don't know. Um, did they get any usable sound at all in real Wasn't time?
3: was for a lot of canon films, though? That seemed like a lot of canon films have yes. like, really was. you know, um... I mean, probably dating back to when they did what, Enter the Ninja, you know, probably seven yes. years before. What would that have been, like 81 or I something, maybe?
1: Yeah, with Franco Nero.
3: Yeah, they're having to give him this Texas accent as Cole from Texas, you know what I mean? And, Wait, um, Franco
1: no. Nero's not from Texas? Ugh, damn it. Damn it.
3: Yeah. And there's no sound. I lose what? again. <laughs> kept Mike Stone's grill voice. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Um well, I want to point
1: out too that it seems like the only people that weren't ADR were um Leah Ayers, right? And uh and, and like good. the American, well, the quote-unquote American actors in this movie. Yeah.
2: But I I I don't even know. I feel like they may have ADR'd themselves later. Cuz the, you know, the the lines the mouths don't quite match up sometimes and I I don't know. Cuz it's not <laughs> just a language thing. Sometimes it's a language thing, right? We want to of this but but other times I feel like I don't know maybe the sound quality is bad we can't use this I don't know yeah I wish I knew I couldn't I wouldn't be that's if
3: and just wanted everyone to ADR anyways just so that they felt like oh we're making big Hollywood movies let's yeah. <laughs> just get them in invite us to parties. the parties
1: that road that this movie took to get to finally being released uh we actually talk about that with Sheldon Lettich that's gonna wow. be our final episode of Martial Arts Madness Month Um, he talks more about the kind of the road that it got to get there, which is a very interesting story. But, uh, you know, you're saying that you were 10 years old at the time when this came out, I was 12. I saw it in the theater with my mom. Uh, it turned me on to karate as well. This and a handful of other movies at the time, best of the best and, uh, no retreat, no surrender. Obviously were gateway movies for me. I think, uh, best of the best came out a year later, but that idea of like, I know what you're saying that as a, as a, as a white kid, personally, I could identify more with Jean-Claude Van Damme's character and obviously not his body. I was like, there's no way I'm going to look like that. Or will I? Um, But man, what a gateway. I think this movie was in general for most kids to find martial arts, you know, JCVD gets, he gets crapped on all the time for, from like purists, right? Don the dragon Wilson, who's a friend of the show, has a has kind of a love-hate relationship with jcvd but the bottom line is this guy brought martial arts to people that might not necessarily be drawn towards it you know you gotta Mm -hmm. gotta tip your cap to the guy that came out here and busted his ass to to get to where he is and and you know whether he's a champion kickboxer or not the fact that he Made it to Hollywood and overcame major obstacles to get to where he is should be acknowledged.
3: I agree. I agree absolutely. One of the the real pillars of modern day martial arts. Um, I mean, he you know he's on he's on that Mount Rushmore, without question. Yeah. And I think the fact that you know he was dancing in the background of breaking for canon you know what four years prior maybe or yep. something um just goofy and not knowing exactly what he was doing but giving, it is really yeah, it. giving
2: it his all really owning
1: it he and michelle kesey uh, yeah. michelle michelle kesey who most people know as tong po but he played um uh Par- 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 I heard that's. paradis paradis <laughs> uh in, in this film he, they came out to america together yeah. And Michelle Kesey told a story about how the two of them came to Los Angeles with no money, slept on the beach, uh, robbed a Vaughn's store here on Lincoln and of, of like a rotisserie chicken and some tuna fish uh, just so they could get through the day and actually were stopped by security when they were leaving. And security didn't. Arrested them. Security got them an opportunity to go to a kickboxing studio and live there, which is where they lived for a while.
3: Whoa!
1: Were able to clean up, to keep the studio clean, and they could stay there overnight. And that's where they got their start. And these two got like how hungry these two guys are, wow. you know? Um, Literally
2: stealing tuna fish. Yeah, and so a rotisserie hungry. chicken. Yeah, chicken. <laughs> that's
1: the trick. That, that's right, straight out of my, Michelle Kesey's mouth. Um, Doesn't
2: that seem a little, a little, I mean, I'm not, you know, a little embellished because what security probably. guard, like how do you get to that point? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You boys stealing this chick. Oh, you know what? You should go to this. Uh, you should go live with this kickboxing
3: <laughs> Well, and take care of it. Wrong. You know, there's a kickboxer studio yeah. down the street that yeah. takes in a yeah. it, Belgium. It, it.
2: Takes in homeless kickboxers. <laughs> Um, you guys can he did, live there. He did say,
1: he told the story a little bit more colorfully than I am. Um, but he did say that the, you know, they basically were like a Paul, very apologetic to the guy and like, you know, look, we're, we're, we're struggling martial artists. We're actors. Uh, we just, we're, we just got out to Los Angeles from, you know, from Belgium and, um, a flight that they almost didn't make because Van Damme got into security with, uh, they thought maybe he had a bomb in his bag because he was so protective over his bag. And and the people on the the flight attendants on the plane wanted to see his bag and he was like freaking out about it. And that's a whole other story. Yeah. Where are, are you getting like these it,
2: stories, by the way? Because I, I, I think Michelle I think Right. But I mean, like a video. Is it his book? Like, what can we go? Can because we should just, you know, tell people to go there. Instead of having you secondhand tell the stories, because <laughs> I mean it's fine, it's fine, but you know we have a limited amount of time. And yeah, no,
1: I'm just I, so he he did a I appreciate DVD it. signing. He did a uh, DVD signing of Lionheart.
2: Okay, directed by Sheldon Ladditch.
1: Yep, at the Dark Delicacies in Burbank. Okay, and he told this story about how he and Van Dam basically trailblazed their way out here, and thank God they did. Thank God Jean Claude had a guy. In Michelle, to kind of keep them, you know, uh, like they had the partnership, the buddies together, you know, and obviously found their way to canon and the rest is history.
3: Michelle's brother being the big villain in Lionheart as well. In Lionheart. That's right. That is cool.
1: What what blows me away with all that, you know, obviously their trajectories were slightly different. Jean-Claude went on to become the superstar that he is and Michelle did a lot of behind the scenes stuff
3: i'm a huge fan of kickboxer 2
1: kickboxer 2 with sasha yeah. with uh sasha with, with, with step by step
3: yeah. a young brian austin green um uh, yeah because i know that they replaced michelle kesey in kickboxer 4 with another uh van damme friend Kamal out yes. um the odd prosthetics he looked like a halloween costume um but yeah no i Tong Po is, is one of those villains that I think will always stand the test of time. Uh, but it's really just for those two, those first two films. You go outside of that. Nothing against Batista, but, you know, just. No. Not the same. Not the same.
1: <laughs> well, I thought for years that Tong Po was actually not. I thought that that's what he looked like.
3: There's one of the credits. It says Tong Po and then it says as himself. In the credits, I'm not kidding you. I think it's part two, <laughs> but it says Hong Ho as himself. You're like, what? What? Is wow!
2: Indiana yeah. Jones as himself.
3: Right. What? Yeah. Uh, was this the first of the the canon contract? I think that Jean Claude had signed. Oh, that's yes. amazing. Mm-hmm. That's that's post shin snap. Yeah, I'm holding
1: up a picture of uh, Paradis. Wow, uh, being his, getting uh, that's his, so good leg snapped
2: <laughs> looks very I mean, different in this movie then so the
3: this would have been if i'm not mistaken blood sport was you know you hear the different stories about van Dam when he was on predator and how he apparently got himself fired by just falling down every time they yelled action because he was uncomfortable in the suit and he was worried and this and that but but he had met with um Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus and they had signed a big three picture deal, I think, that it was like thirty thousand per picture and this was the first one and he was gonna be starring in it, so that's kinda why he sabotaged his his predator uh, role. I mean that's that's the story I remember getting. Um, yeah. that it was because of Bloodsport you know, being the first big Here you are, you big gents. Don't mess this up, Golden Boy yeah, we know you're in picture with uh, Schwarzenegger or whatever in Mexico, but it's All up right to right. you. We have a big starring role for you here. Kevin. Whatever,
1: we have Donald Gibb. Have you seen <laughs> The Revenge of the Nerds? Have you seen First and Ten? Going for Brog, He's terrific.
3: You well, got I mean, to see Port this. Whitaker had done Platoon and Fast Times at Richmond High oh, by this man. point. Yeah, well. I remember seeing him going,
1: oh, I know that guy in 88 you know when i didn't have indb obviously yeah and, and thinking oh and then recognizing leah Ayers from the burning which my brother forced me to see when i was oh, like i don't know seven years yep. old
2: Yeah, that's so cool. what uh what is forrest whitaker doing in this movie not like what is he doing <laughs> as an actor like in this movie but what is his character what are these guys doing you know what I mean? I I I do want to back up real fast because I because I think a synopsis is really important. Just just real quick. Yes, please. Paul, are you? Are, would you feel comfortable giving a synopsis of Bloodsport, like the 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 quick elevator pitch?
3: A westerner enters a forbidden underground tournament held in Hong Kong every some odd number of years, and actually becomes the first westerner to win said tournament against all odds, where it is not just. Win or lose, it's fight to the death. It's blood sport.
2: That's I, I mean that wow. that's a perfect pitch. Um thank you. And and the only thing I'll add is that it is based on a real life Frank Dukes, real life uh martial artist and liar Frank Dukes. <laughs> I'm um, glad you added that. Because it, it came out um not too long ago that most of what frank dukes has said and this entire story is based on on a life that that nothing can be verified um we don't know if the kumite the the actual tournament if that existed all of these these world records that frank dukes supposedly held fastest punch thrown fastest knockout fastest kick while uh dehydrated you know all these all these facts that come up (laughs) that are not at all verified or uh real um really kind of, you know, it doesn't taint the legacy of this movie, but it does It does uh, make you look
3: at it through a different lens. Certainly. I mean, the mock is real. Let's mm-hmm. not do that. What the hell is a dimmac? Death touch.
1: What the hell is a dimmac? My favorite line, by the way. It's the new burger from McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> is the dimmock a real thing?
3: Uh, I believe so, yeah. I okay. mean, okay. I don't know that it literally translates to to death touch um but it makes i buy it i believe yeah. it. um you know i think it's similar to uh that that strike and hot rod where if you hit them just right they shit their pants um so <laughs> <Nice> yes
1: reference <laughs> hot
3: rod. <laughs> i remember seeing on like the court tv channel or something i think again i was younger and i was sick and bored i was slipping through tv and the jean-claude van damme frank duke's lawsuit was on core tv where he was suing him over who had written the quest i think oh yeah and frank duke's just man he he just looked like such a bad car salesman like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so and Van Dam was really bringing the tears. I came here from Belgium and did my room. <laughs> I stole I a stole chicken. chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the kickboxing gym thanks to security guard.
2: Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. I mean, one of his records is most consecutive knockouts. One of his records in quotes: most consecutive knockouts in a single tournament. Fifty-six. Now think about how many matches you would have to have. In How a many tournament.
3: participants? Yes, We're in this, ha- right. Five hundred
1: person tournament. Right. <laughs> Weeks. And and to piggyback on that, Don the Dragon Wilson, I believe, has seventy four wins under his belt. He fought like I don't know eighty some odd matches as a kickboxer. And so I think even on our show uh, last year when he was on, he said something like, "It's impossible to have that many
2: victories in such a short period of consecutive. Time. Your body just can't take consecutive it. Yeah. knockouts yeah. in a tournament." <laughs> In one tournament. So
3: all in the same tournament. Yes. That's yes. Over the span of 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Liars. I In mean, a
1: tournament, a, a, a pro wrestling tournament back in the day, you know, uh, NWA or WCW used to have a thing called Running the Gauntlet yeah. where they would have, you'd have three matches uh, in the course of one evening. And that was unparalleled at the time like wow this guy's gonna go he's gonna run i think brian pillman ran the gauntlet and i think his final match was with rick flair possibly I'm, I'm trying to i'm forgetting oh no, that
3: sounds that sounds accurate
1: but you know three matches in he was just like winded and and you know that's insane and those matches were like seven to eight minutes seven or eight minutes long so
3: oh if yeah if that if, i mean probably long a little longer even you know yeah yeah, no, I try to turn down any bookings. We're like, we have this all-day tournament uh, idea. You know, if you wanted to make it to the finals, it's like, well, I don't really want to go out in the first round either. But uh, uh, let me check my schedule, guys. I'll get back to you on the tournament. <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Was this, uh, what What were some of the factors in making this movie so powerful for you? You mentioned kind of the, the montages of introducing the characters. That was one thing. Uh, Van Damme, obviously. What else? What were some um, other factors?
3: this this movie really showed different sides of hong kong i mean and i thought that was pretty fascinating as far as i know the whole film was shot in hong kong um and again i think van damme still has a home there from what i can tell just from various posts of his um and you know i think they went on and shot uh double impact um a lot of his films are shot in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was really kind of one of the first to really show different sides of it. And I thought that was interesting. There's a, you know, going back to the American agents, I'm trying to think of what, you know, um, who hired them to or who said I guess they're military correspondents or something. You know what I mean? From the, from the story, just because Jean-Claude, uh, Frank Dukes goes kind of AWOL or something and, you know, leaves the, the showers, um, without permission. And, but there's a shot where they're eating at the restaurant. And I always, man, I, I always just craved, whatever the hell that was. I didn't even know what it was. And they weren't I think was keen eel. on it. The dog wasn't even keen on it when he throws nope. him the little dumpling or something. But <laughs> man, did I want some sort of watery soupy dumpling of sorts when I would see that scene. But it was just, yeah, you would just see different shots. I thought they really kind of showed different aspects of, of Hong Kong, which I thought was pretty neat, but it really does boil down to the characters. It's just the, the 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 variety of color in this film um you know and i feel that was an early attraction to me when ufc first first started you know we're talking about ufc one through five
1: with like Um, dan severin and um
3: yeah yeah chemo i mean you had all you know in the before like right before the gracies kind of blew up yep um Mm You you would have you know like ninja versus sumo and you know and (laughs) there was no rules you know guys were getting like punched in the nuts repeatedly and like yeah into holds and, and it was just it was wild you know and I and but I have bloodsport to thank for that because it was just it was it was it was a it was the first real like to me video game movie you know just like first real film where you're. Just yeah. to enthrall about these different characters, um, and I mean, it, and it it really, you know, leans into the stereotypes really heavily. Which, as a youngster, even today, is still very comical to me. Um, you know, would a would a film like Bloodsport be able to get made today? Who knows? You know? I mean, there would be so many different nationalities, probably just claiming this and that.
1: Well, I held it in the same regard as. The Warriors. I feel like it's a time capsule movie. You could remake it, but you'd obviously, it wouldn't have the same vibe that those movies have. You can't remake The Warriors now because if you did, it just wouldn't work unless you make it a period piece. But I think we're not going to go there, you know. And in Bloodsport, you could make that a period piece too. But again, you probably have to redefine many of the characters. I don't think Sadiq Hussein would, or Hassan would be the same, (laughs) you know, this. Uh, this guy, oh <laughs> so,
2: right? It, Those it just wouldn't translate, right? And there was something a little bit jarring just seeing now, like like Paul, you mentioned the guy who who climbs into the tree like a monkey and just starts like you know, this, yeah, just starts c- cutting coconuts and stuff. I was just there was something that I was like, oh oh, what's what's happening? Um, that was a little <laughs> like you know, but I also had to, uh, you, yeah, you almost like question like, is this racist? Okay, no, it's not, but. <laughs> I guess it could be, I mean, like, that, that's kind of how we are now.
3: Well, I mean, as a kid, you certainly don't think those things. You right. just think, I guess that's how they fight in Africa. Cultures, you know? yeah. That's how they yeah. fight yeah. in Korea, you know, jumping up and kneeing these massive pillars and snapping them in half or training in the in the snow, you know, like, like you see in Best of the Best. Um, And so th- that was something that – and there's always – I mean – the thing that's so beautiful about blood sport is that even for characters that have no dialogue, they still stand out. You know, there are characters yeah. in right. the tournament. Like I can't remember, there's like the one guy who I could only assume was from France who was wearing like the blue tights <laughs> and just is very yeah. kind of effeminate, you know what I mean? And uh Jackson smashes his face in. Um but but these characters stood out to you and, and you know, there's the Thai boxing guy who looks like a white guy who an Irish guy or something that traveled to Thailand and learned Muay Thai has no dialogue, but you know, these characters still stand out. And so I thought that was something that was pretty incredible was that even for characters who you don't even know who their names are, unless you kind of dissect the credits, they still stood out. And they had such a lasting impression in your mind. Yeah. Um, it's it's incredible, you know, and is there a more emulated film than than Bloodsport? I mean, sure you can think, well, Enter the Dragon, but in terms of where martial arts films really started to to go, I mean, I feel like there's probably not any more of a copycat film than than you know what what became after Bloodsport.
2: That is true. It is a little like Mike Tyson's punch out one night, when you kind of frame oh, it yeah. that way, where you've got these like villains that are very you know almost like caricatures of themselves and they're from different countries and Hussein was missing
3: was a jewel yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah exactly the punch flashes. his gold tooth that was what you, you beat him you had to yeah that is gold right. tooth but i mean even like the janitor you know or the 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 maintenance guy you know like no yeah. dialogue but even he gets a little bit there where he's chewing on the tooth and he's like wiping the the, the blood off. i mean it's just true it's, it's powerful stuff. <laughs>
2: you
1: know? I think for me, too, One of the, the character um, Victor Lin, played by Ken CU, he passed away in 2018. Uh, I, up until that point, I had only seen a sidekick in martial art or action movies as being like Mickey, right, from Rocky. Sure. Uh, or someone who maybe was a little bit more imposing to some degree. Either mm-hmm. they were more gruff verbally or they physically were imposing. But he was such a like a sweet kind of guy, but he was a mover and a shaker, and he really was that added element which, which I think elevates the movie, brings the comedy in. I think him yeah. and Jackson together, those two guys really are what make this – if those characters are out of this movie, it does not have the same appeal.
3: You Dukes, you look like a Dukes. Put up your Dukes, right? My
0: name is Jackson. This is Mr. Frank Dukes. Are our rooms ready? Mr. Lin in room 310 wants
1: to see you after you check in. Who the hell's Mr. Lin?
0: I'm Lin. You Jackson? You look like a Jackson. That would make you Frank Dukes.
1: No, no, no. It's Dukes. Gotcha. Like put up your Dukes, right? (laughs) (laughs) And Jackson, you know, at the time, I, I, as a kid... I wanted the Duke looking character in a hero, right. Uh, for me. Cause I grew up wa- playing with GI Joes and watching GI Joe. And, and I think that's why Jean-Claude appealed to me so much. Cause he looked like Duke from, from the cartoon. Uh, um, but then Jackson was imposing to me as a kid. Now I look back and I'm like, maybe Jackson's my favorite character. Maybe he's the, the, the ultimate badass in the whole thing.
3: He's the heart of the film in a lot of yes. ways. Um, and to go back to kind of the video game comparison, I mean, it's, pretty appropriate that that's how they become acquainted with each other is over a game of karate champ what think you can
0: give me some competition
3: sure i'll try it. that's what i like to
0: hear kid who isn't afraid to lose no no i got it i'm gonna take his money you ready yeah you like this kind of fighting huh yeah you want to see some real fight, you can see me fight at the kumite. I'm here, too, for the kumite. Aren't you a little young for full contact? Aren't you a little old for video games? You want to go at it again, huh? Yeah. Not bad, kid. My name's Ray Jackson.
3: I'm Frank Dukes. That was such a fun game. I loved it, which I guess predates Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and a lot of those games. But and it
1: doesn't. I think what made that game unique, unlike yi R Kung Fu, where you're, it's a side scroller. Yeah. Uh, was and I love that game too. But Karate Champ, you could depending on how you move the controller, was what move you could accomplish. Which at the time, I don't remember there being another video game like that. Personally. Um, and it wasn't until I think Street Fighter came out where if you moved it slightly to the left, right, and then you kind of did a curve with your controller, you could do the move. But at, at the time, I only knew of like up, down, left, right, and that was it.
3: A B A B select start. Exactly. Yeah, Karate
2: <laughs> Champ's not a very fun game. It's very it's, slow, kind of plods along. Um, but it's a yeah. tournament,
1: right? right. It right. is.
2: Right. It is. But who cares? <laughs> I don't want to play it. Um, that's all I'm saying. I, so I did want to talk about this idea that, that, you know, that Frank Dukes, that the character, uh, you know, Paul, you said he, he went AWOL. Um, uh, and, uh, this, this sort of idea that when you go absent without leave in the military, specifically the army, what does that mean? And all of it, from what I, from what I've read, I, you know, I'm, I, I have not, uh, I have not served, but it is all very serious. It is not something, you know, even if you're 15 minutes late to your post sometimes, that's that's considered a version of AWOL. So the fact that, you know, Frank Dukes says, fuck you guys, I'm I'm taking off for this tournament is incredibly uh, a weighted thing. And thinking about it in terms of Frank Dukes lying about this kind of a thing, I don't know if he was lying that he was also in the military or not, but... Um, you know, you would say, well, what would the consequences be? And and they could range from, you know, everything to just being demoted to, you know, uh being being imprisoned ultimately. And it would seem that this level of AWOL-ness would result in probably imprisonment. I don't know why you would send these two doofuses. <laughs> really, these guys were like the the least smart, least effective, you know uh Army CID officers played by uh just it's Forrest Whitaker and and Norman Burton Helmer and Rollins. Helmer and Rollins show up at the hotel. Uh you know Jean-Claude gets away and then they're like oh man thwarted they know where he's staying. Like th- this is not you know it's just this whole thing of like you're coming back with us Frank and he's like in 2 days I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> they're like no you're coming back now. Okay Dukes.
0: You know why we're here. Taking you back, Frank. Let's go. Only when the committee is over.
2: You know, once he disarms their taser, they're like, "Now what do we do?" Like they're just—I don't understand what they're doing there. They're not imposing. Um, I, Cue the Mentos commercial at that point. The Mentos yeah. commercial <laughs> is the most infamous. It's probably the best thing to come out of of that scene. And that scene, the the actual music that's playing during that scene is is a romantic song called steal the night i don't know why that's a choice (laughs) i would rather have the mentos song play in the movie honestly I love that song though. It's a great song. Steal the Night? Yeah. No, no, it's not a great song. Yeah, it no, is. No, it's not. He's like, it was Valentine's Day yesterday, we played it. <laughs> no. Um, it's my romance. It's my moves. No, I don't I I we're not talking about the soundtrack. I understand that. But it just feels like when we when we talk about those two characters, they're they don't really have a place other than being this sort of comedic bumbling obstacle for no more than you know three minutes at a time basically
3: yeah i mean yeah that's true i thought it could have been a neat touch too had they shown up after they fell into the harbor uh just sick as dogs you know what i mean because you would think you would contract some sort of illness falling into that water so i thought that that was a that was a slightly missed bit Mm -hmm. they really are the comedic bit here i mean throughout the film um you take you you think that the which one's helmer the older one and then roland yeah yeah yeah, you would think that he's definitely the more seasoned of the two he's he's the one that does a lot of the talking and uh roland seems like a bit more of the hothead you know and is quick to jump on on the situation and cut to the chase but you can tell his inexperience kind of shines through here uh but it it also I think it, it it didn't just assist the Frank Dukes character in, you know, giving him some opposition, but it allowed for a lot of the other characters to, to kind of, I guess, mainly Jackson, you know, like that that's one of the best scenes when you get to see Jackson risking himself by tackling them both um, to help Frank kind of get the jump on getting out of there. Uh, and I mean, and he gets, you know, one of the best lines in the film where he, you know, lets them know that he's not his he's not their pal. <laughs> right. 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 The best. right.
1: <laughs> it is one of he, he does have the best lines in the movie.
3: Yeah, they're it's debatable, but that's only because there are so many insanely great lines in this. That's film. true. That's true. Um, Helmer
1: too is, is such a, such a tool bag. Like he reminds me of the guy, if you've ever had a nine to five job where you've had someone who's been there for 20 years, who (laughs) has to train you, you know, when, when they first show up at uh, Mr. Tanaka's house and, 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 uh, and Rollins is like, you know, kind of getting hot. And Helmer's like, Mrs. Tanaka, (laughs) thank you. Like, this is what you do. Watch me, watch what I do. Thank you. (laughs) For your yeah. patience and your time. It's like so such like, oh, you're such a cheese head, you know? And, yeah. And then Rollins is like, okay, I guess I got to be like that, you know?
3: <laughs> right, right. no he's So condescending. He, it's good though. It's good stuff. I mean, he's uh, definitely the, the vet of the two and just fun, lovable, lovable military.
1: Oh, the buffoonery.
3: Yeah. Now I had no idea that Shidoshi... H- uh hanzo tanaka was i just kind of recently put it together he was the villain at the very beginning of temple of doom um oh who, really oh he, yeah he, he oh poisons who lets indiana jones oh know that's great poison yeah he was that guy with that rotating table great pull yep yeah and i thought because i was right. like i had seen him before and i had seen temple of doom before i saw blood sport certainly so it thought mm-hmm. and that helped. That helped make that a a character that, that you respected, not just because Frank Dukes respected him, but, but he had a very imposing presence to him. And that is true.
1: Well, I think I, I can speak personally and say that when I saw an actor pop back up from a movie that I recognized him in, i.e. Billy Drago in Invasion USA. And if he was like a villain in a movie, because he was in a semi decent B movie called like death match or um, death game or something like that. That's it's got crazy. like Don Swayze's brother in it or Don Swayze and, uh, and a whole and Chad McQueen. It's like the brothers of oh, the, or sons and everything. Um, and he's like the main villain in that. And I'm like, yeah, but you got your dick blown off in invasion USA. Like, that's mm-hmm. you're not imposing. So at the time, as a kid, if I saw you in one particular role, but then you had a bigger role in another movie, and be like, "No, it's not believable for me. I don't get <laughs> it." <laughs> kind of like when I saw Matt Adler in North Shore, and then I see him in Whitewater Summer, and I'm like, "Yeah, but you're such a nice guy in oh. North Shore. Oh, I don't like yeah.
2: that. Letter you're to so the editor.
3: Cool. Just a nerdy friend in Teen <laughs> Wolf. <right>? Yeah, gee. <laughs> Maddler's great. Ah, North Shore. That's, that's definitely up there. My child. That's a whole
1: other... I want to point out Philip Chan, who played uh, the captain of the yeah. military. That guy, he was, I think, the main villain in Double Impact, uh, I believe. One of the main villains.
3: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But he's um, been
1: in a ton of great movies like Hard Boiled and Super Cop. Just legendary actor. Uh, so you see him and you're like, this guy has a gravitas about him. I didn't know those other movies. Uh, obviously Double Impact hadn't come out yet, but I didn't I hadn't seen Supercop or I hadn't seen many Jackie Chan movies in right. 88. And then no. I see him and like there's something about that guy. He's so good.
3: Yeah, they just they figured let's give him a stogie and make him a villain and Double Impact. Um Yeah, no, he's you're right. That's wow. I mean, he, he, his doppelganger seemed almost as though he was the guy who was like, okay, USA. Um, they had a similar.
2: You lose, thing. American asshole.
3: Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, even that guy, just for that one line, just stood out. I mean, you can, anyone in yeah. anyone martial arts films, you can basically just throw that out there without even having brought up Bloodsport. Okay, USA. And they're going to be like, oh my God, I love Bloodsport. You know, like. Um, Is it the most quotable martial arts film today? I mean, it's it very well. Yes, might. definitely. It's wow. a
2: good question.
1: I'm just going to say yes.
2: Well,
3: I mean, yeah. Even just one line. Quotable. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, one guy, Chong Li, has one line or two, well, four. But you say his line, you go, oh, that's Chong Lee from Bloodsport.
3: Right. Right. I mean, we've all pointed at somebody before in our lives and been like, "You are next." Right? I've done the right little, right. <laughs> I break you,
2: <laughs> like I break your friend. Um, yeah. My, I just quickly wanted to say, my favorite part of this movie is um, Leah Leah Ayers, who plays the romantic interest slash reporter, who's trying so hard to get into the Kumate. She plays Janice Kent. She's trying so hard to get into the Kumate, and she's you know sleeping with with Frank Dukes. And she's like, can you, you know, take me in? And he's like, no, I I can't take you in. I can't take you into the tournament. And then he goes to the tournament and then she's there um, with some, you know, random guy that, you know, has, she's, she's gotten, gotten in. And she loudly says, loudly says, this isn't the first time I've had to go undercover to get a story.
3: (laughs) Right. Right. And then she proceeds to like pull out the, the brick recorder <laughs> in the middle of the apartment. They're taking notes. Like, you're real good at it.
2: Yeah. Real good at it. Too busy
1: watching Chong Lee, I guess, you know?
2: Oh, my God. Wait a minute. You're a, a reporter? Playboy, no, 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 no. I was just yelling about something else.
3: He's good, too. That little Weasley Playboy guy. He's you like know, the bookie or whatever he mm-hmm. is. Yeah. 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 And he takes the money out of the ref's pocket when Frank shows up. He's funny. Yeah. He is
1: and he's got those he has like one one exchange with frank where he's like you good you good good you
3: good good fighter you good yeah i thought it was a neat thing too that they you know kept all the fighters kind of in the stands together instead of just super cool them retreat to some backstage locker room um you know that seemed kind of more typical right in film you kept them all kind of bundled up and i think that really added to getting them all over in the in the visual sense that you're like oh yeah okay i mean again even if they're not saying anything you see them all of them got quite a good amount of screen time and and some of them you know get put over more than others um you know, and I and I also what I really loved and I think made the Frank Dukes character again so relatable is he he didn't just mow through this tournament, you know, like he faces quite a bit of opposition, especially when he faces the uh, the sumo and we were first introduced to that Johnny Cage split punch. Ribs are broken there and then yeah. he just kinda like farts it off and he's like <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my god, like, what's it gonna take to, to down this monster, you know? And then you get the, the beautiful splits punch. So, I just thought it was fantastic how they put over so many of these characters.
1: Um, that's refreshing, you're right. It's refreshing to see the hero not necessarily being indestructible.
3: Oh, yeah, best of the best three or four, I'm not really sure which one it is, but I think Philip Ree directed it and he's the star of it i don't recall him getting hit a single time the mm-hmm. entire movie he's most i'm like what is this yeah. like where is yeah. what, garbage. in garbage yeah
1: and that's why fun. best of the best work, one works so well because they sure. get their asses handed to them oh yeah and, you know i was also going to point out too, victor really- lin and then Ch- and then chong lee's uh the, his his kind of manager that doesn't say a word through the whole movie even though, even when he's cheering you don't even hear they didn't adr his cheers mm-hmm. at all it's all silent those are the only two non-fighters i think in the audience on those respective sides i don't think anybody else has like a a handler so to speak
3: true
2: interesting yeah. uh do you do you have all the cards have we seen all of your cards have you shown them all N-
1: no no i'm i'm actually uh so this one i think is very entertaining sen ling uh, it's, his card is just literally him
3: with his, oh after
2: he got his ass kicked. Oh, that's funny. Just money see out. the one that takes money. the
3: big back bump off of the, off of the stage? What a I weird think, stage too, right? It's in the it dirt. It like an orthopedic bed or something, like it was. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Very <strange>. adjustable, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a little like Flash Gordon-ish, so you know, funny. with the rotate. I, I was hoping it would rotate with spikes coming out of it, but, uh. Uh, You know, Paco Paco is another guy who uh, has Paco, that's the guy Paco's Uh, the guy You know, Dustin, you brought up the soundtrack I think we should kind of talk about the soundtrack A little bit, because Steal the Night may not be that great of a song Even though I like it uh, But Stan Bush's Fight to Survive Is Without a doubt, one of the Greatest 80s Rock anthems Of all time
3: song
2: Yep, I want to point out you probably like Steel the Night because it's super repetitive. Steel Steel the <laughs> Night is said like fifteen Paul, times. Paul gives
1: me shit for liking repetitive music. He just yeah. lot,
2: like loves super repetitive, like the same thing over and over again for five to six minutes. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> anyway,
3: well, I think also credit should be given to Paul Herzog, of course, for his, for his just all the all the other music, and he would it- go on to do other films i know he did kickboxer Sideboard as well and kickboxer yeah and so i thought a lot of that um music really added to the atmosphere you know especially the real oriental influenced music uh whenever oh, you for would, sure you know get introduced to the fighting arena flashbacks to training with uh shidoshi which you know those flashbacks are are great too i mean this was one of those kind of uh montage films that wasn't so much a montage of him training at the actual tournament more so that montage of the training prior Mm -hmm. to all of it. you know so that was a different that was a different look of a montage too because up until that point really we had just had Uh, in my estimation you know no retreat, no surrender which is montages for training as you're progressing this was all flashback stuff and i thought that was great really which
1: they spent like 20 minutes of the movie doing flashback montages
3: yeah it's a lot yeah yeah and you and that and you see you know not just in the training but just in his character development where he one over the sun too you know what i mean by kind of coming to his rescue um uh, on the schoolyard you know which also has one of the most quotable and oddly racist lines <laughs> of the film where he's like beat it round eye i'm like round eye that's never have i ever heard that since even... you know it's it's uh, wow and i've used that to people <laughs> Does
1: Frank Dux have does Frank Dux have his script on his chest because the kid, the little the the son is looking directly at Frank's chest when he (laughs) talks to him? I'm like, are the lines right there? You gotta look at me in the eye. I cannot see your face.
2: I feel like the directing was a little strange on the eye lines overall.
3: Yeah. A little bit. He had his bill on his hat cut off. Is that I mean you're wearing your hats. The, it's not turned around is it no it's, 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 just it's, how, it's just cut
2: off it's just cut off, off the sword hot. yep yeah, i tried to, to steal it. the sword um got the hat cut off but then later i was presented the sword in a three minute long montage uh flashback so lovely it, it worked out you're gonna call the cabs <laughs>
1: sorry that's probably one of my i lines i
2: right. feel like the paul herzog it, I, I don't know much about him personally but the fact that his phone stopped ringing and that no one would hire him, um, you know, he did blood sport, he did Kickboxer, he did a movie called Breathing Fire in 1991, and that was it. And then he, like, sat around and was like, uh, you guys want to hire me for stuff? And no one did, and then he went back to school and became a, a high school teacher.
3: Oh, wow. That's cool. Hopefully he taught music.
2: English and music theater, yeah, music theory.
1: Wow. Good for him.
3: That's right.
1: I mean, you know, I think about someone like Vince DeCola, who went for a very long stretch until someone, well, Peter Hackman, a friend of ours, friend of the show, you know, was a big proponent of pushing him forward and like getting him gigs again. And he's successful again now. But there was a long stretch in there where Vince was not composing films. After wow. coming off the heels of such a huge hit like Rocky IV and and you know Transformers, albeit had a, a, a litany of issues with it, and he and he talked about that in our interview. But um, still, it's a
3: memorable soundtrack. Absolutely, no, this, wow, you're bringing up some yeah. and that's Vince DiCola and Stan Bush on that Transformers soundtrack as well. That yes. that soundtrack's incredible, so, but the Rocky IV soundtrack. I mean, who hasn't trained? at some point using that music, you know, it's still the most motivating. Epic. It's incredible. Yeah.
2: Um, Instant motivation. I wonder if Stan Bush is the problem. Maybe he's the reason why, like, like there's the curse of Stan Bush. We should dig deeper into this. If there's a Stan Bush song featured, what became of that composer? On, yeah. Uh, said movie.
1: The Wraith had a good composer and Stan Bush did a song on that movie. And, too, and what so.
2: happened to that composer whose name is escaping me, even though we've talked I, about it
1: i don't know right you know one can assume
2: what can assume the the phone stopped ringing because if you work with stan bush the phone stops ringing i don't know about this theory guys but i'm i'm gonna push it no no No. have y'all
3: interviewed stan bush (laughs) have y'all found him as well
1: not yet period but you know that that's probably have we looked for him sure i haven't looked. we should look for him and then be (laughs) like
2: um why did you end every composer's career well, with. he's
1: going to be at the Transformer Con, I think, in April uh, oh, wow. in, in Los Angeles. So,
2: so Zach will be there with the scoop, no. dressed Maybe. like Paul's brother Jonathan, might Bumblebee. Be there,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so the soundtrack to this movie is powerful. Uh, I think if you take Stan's vocals out of "Fight to Survive," it's still an epically amazing song because yeah. that that there is a version online i think it's on the soundtrack actually an extended version i have the vinyl of of blood sport oh, it's uh, beautiful it's beautiful and it's got a gateway or gatefold or whatever and you open it up and it's it's van dam and oh. Chong lee it's so it's rad. a work of art and then the back is is got uh, more art and oh, yeah. i'll post pictures of it on our instagram um, we've talked about the blood brothers mix on our show before Go back to our episode about that, by the way, the martial arts. Uh, it's it's like top five. The martial arts grab bag? It's martial arts grab bag. Is that the one when we talk about music? Was or this, is it a... the
2: sports grab bag? Oh, martial arts sound? I don't remember. What did we do? Anyway, martial arts soundtracks. We don't even remember our own episodes. episodes. We were doing this so long. 100 episodes, you guys. We don't even remember our our first ones. They were so 100 long. 100 episodes. 100 episodes. Uh, 100 that's more impressive than Frank Dukes' faux resume. <laughs> it is. It
3: this, is. Is,
1: this is proven that we've done 100 episodes and it's real, unlike Frank's. Right. who well, they didn't have Wikipedia back then. Yep. They didn't have the internet. Yeah. Mm.
2: It's convenient. No video, <laughs> no records.
1: Sheldon Lettich, in, in a couple weeks, you'll hear the interview with Sheldon Lettich. And he's a very diplomatic – he has a diplomatic approach to how he describes his relationship with Frank Dukes but you can read between the lines and you realize we've all had friends that uh you know sell you on one thing and and
3: don't deliver on the other you'll have to ask him i was at um mystic museum at some point last year um i want to say it was during One of their exhibits, I don't know if it was just an Evil Dead exhibit or whatnot, but they had a script in a glass case that was, I want to say, for Army of Darkness. It was one of the drafts for Army of Darkness, and his name was on it. And I know that he had done a co-writing with uh, Bruce Campbell earlier, I want to say before Bloodsport, but there's some tie-in there with him and Bruce Campbell and that party there but there is we we actually talk a little bit about that with him oh wow oh that's so cool that's
1: so yeah that a little movie called thou shall not kill dot 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 except
3: okay that's right that's right yeah sheldon's
1: one of those guys who's had relationships with so many people in hollywood um and you know he's he's got a good relationship with them and he talks well, that's on our Patreon, which everybody should sign up for. Go to our Patreon, $2 late fee Patreon, uh, and sign up because you can hear the $2 six-question segment we did with Sheldon where he talks about his connection to Quentin Tarantino.
3: So, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: But you're here, Paul. And, huh. uh, and, and I always pull out a couple of facts from the year Bloodsport came out. I want to quickly say 1988. I, I specifically chose some of these because I knew they would drive Dustin nuts. Oh, good. Um, They're all
2: wrestling. You're a wrestler, though. I'll allow it. No, allow in 1988. Professionally.
1: There's one wrestling. There's one wrestling. Go one.
2: West came out with their worst song ever. <laughs> it is called, and here's all the wrestling facts. <laughs> right?
3: Okay, no. There.
1: No, this is, uh, but I, th- Dustin will appreciate this. And Paul, you may not, no why until after I say it, and Dustin can elaborate. But Steve Winwood had a top 10 hit in 1988. Oh, it was called Roll With It. Mm-hmm. Dustin, are you familiar
2: or do you appreciate the song Roll With It? I was afraid it? you were going to bring this up. So... Uh my relationship with, with Steve Winwood, Paul, is uh that I never really liked his music. Um and uh specifically there was a scene in a movie called Short Time starring Dabney Coleman, in which Dabney Coleman takes his son Dougie on a ride in his convertible and turns, you know, pulls down the maybe he's, maybe, maybe he's already taken the top down. I don't know. And, and Dougie's playing with the radio and, and roll with it comes on and, and, and they have this conversation where, you know, Dabby's about to change it. He's like, no dad, leave this song on. It's cool. It's real cool. (laughs) And it's, it's so, it's the most cringe. It's just, you know, the kids say cringe. It's like, it's just so cringy. Um, never liked that song. I think that song is terrible. I will say I later discovered Steve Winwood's '70s stuff, and it's like the best stuff I've ever heard in my life. So, um, it, it was just some of that '80s '80s stuff.
3: What year was that film? That would have been like what '89? Uh, Short time.
2: Uh, well, we can find out. Certainly, I. I, I don't. Uh, it's it's a fun movie. Short time.
1: 1990. 1990. Okay. Wow. So
2: that's even dumber, right? That that song had been out. For two years. Well, they let's assume they filmed... Maybe they filmed in 88 or filmed in... Sure. yeah. All right. Yeah.
3: And is that like a road trip movie? I'm not familiar with it. I would like to see it. No.
2: The premise is that Dabney Coleman is a cop and he gets... Um, his... His urine results or something get mixed up and he gets told that he's... You know, he only has like X amount of days to live. So it's called Short Time because he's trying to get everything done. But also... He only gets the money for his kid if he dies on the job. So he's taking a lot of risks, comedic risks, uh, as a cop, um, you know, because he's trying to get killed so that sure. his kid gets the gets the gets the money.
0: After a mix up at the
2: hospital, Detective Bert Simpson thinks he's got two weeks to live. It's a difference. If it happens, it happens. But if he can go in the line of duty? All right.
0: His family will be set for life. But getting killed isn't as easy as it looks. Short time. You missed me
1: again, you idiot.
2: Rated PG 13. Great cast, though. Great cast. Yeah. It's it's good. It's good. That scene is the worst scene.
1: (laughs) I saw that in the theater with my mom. Matt Fruhr, Terry Garr is in that. Wow. You should check it out.
3: Yeah, I know. I haven't heard of it. I'd like to. I think I think Dabney Coleman I think of uh, obviously like what cloak and dagger, I think. Yep. Um and that was a very special film for me just because it had so much of it in San Antonio and I felt like, I've been there. Like that's crazy. The river <laughs> so scary now. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, Did yeah. you
1: try to jump out of the boat in the river walk? Like Yeah, uh...
3: this old this old couple was chasing me or like coming after yep. me and it was Three fingers. Oh, yeah. So disturbing. <laughs> um, I want to
1: know if you guys played the game in 1988. The game Altered Beast came out yes. for the arcade before prior to Sega.
2: Rise from your grave.
1: Sega introduces America's most wanted, Altered Beast, wanted for destroying
0: the forces of evil by transforming into dragons, tigers, and other awesome beasts, even the
1: golden werewolf. Yeah, that was a fun wow. game.
3: Yeah, great game, absolutely. Um, and like you said, yeah, that was one of the reasons to get the Genesis later. Mm-hmm. than yep. Genesis. Um yeah, Altered Beast was incredible. I mean, that would have been well after what, Castlevania, but a lot of those side scrolling mystical games, um, Ghosts and Goblins and a lot of those games, but yeah, I mean, this was one of those arcade games that you want it on a home entertainment system for so long. And so when it finally came out, it was pretty awesome. Yep, I think They had it on game gear as well, but yeah, altered beast, man, that who wouldn't want to be an altered. We're all altered.
2: That's so good.
1: Well, speaking of altered beasts, this, this, I do have one wrestling fact. I love Uh-oh. to pull out wrestling facts. This was a big one for me in 1988. I don't know about you, Paul, but, um, WrestleMania 4 came out in 1988, but at the same time, the same day, TBS aired Clash of the Champions for free. That was NWA's promotion. teams like the real warriors and dusty Rhodes taking on the powers of pain and with like ivan koloff and the barbarian and you had lex luger and barry windham defeating arn and tully for the world tag team titles you had sting taking on rick flair for the world title it was uh-huh. stings basically that was the rick flair passing the torch to sting moment so to speak giving the sting the big rub because he wasn't as big in eight. i think he was on his way he was still somewhat of a uh, not a rookie, so to speak, but he was on his way to becoming a larger than life character. And he right. took on Ric Flair, I think in like a 45 minute match.
3: No, I believe it. I mean, Rick could work with anybody. He was incredible. And at the time, I think sting still had that kind of white trash rat tail mullet. He did. Right. Surfer <laughs> um, Surfer's thing oh with God. the rat tail. Yeah. Which was in, it was, it was melded into the action figure. Cause back then those earlier, Pre WCW into WCW figures were kind of more of just the molds that were that didn't have any articulation whatsoever.
1: Yep, those and, are great figures. I love those. I, they were not LJN, but they were no. pretty badass figures.
3: Right, right, right. But that's such a uh, what a what a beautiful time in wrestling, you know, because for the most part, everyone still really believed what they were seeing, and you had yeah. again similar to Bloodsport. You had just these bigger more colorful characters um whereas now sadly wrestling just looks like different fraternities against each other you know Mm -hmm. yeah just there's no magic um and
1: the ring music that they would come out to was original songs back. Well, not like you know, the, uh, Midnight Express would come out to the theme from the movie, The Midnight yeah. Express, and Sting yeah. would come out to uh, Search and Destroy by Metallica, I believe, or a Metallica song. Right. Um, Road Warriors would come out to uh, Iron Man by Ozzy Osbourne, oh, you that's know. Right.
2: That's right. Before yeah.
3: licensing took over, just the golden golden era, you know. And this would have been. Would that have been before the the wrestling cartoon? I think with Hulk Hogan and all those characters. Rock and was, wrestling? Yeah, I think the rock and wrestling. It was probably a similar time. Yeah, around the same
1: time, I believe.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and you're like, how come Jimmy Snuka doesn't have a bigger role uh, in this? Oh, we'll find right. out about twenty years from now.
3: Although you know, going back to Bloodsport, it makes me wonder if mr fuji took inspiration from chong lee's manager for the salt in the eyes oh yeah Um, you know because i don't know that he had done that
1: that wasn't Uh, his gimmick yet
3: not yet i mean i know that he clearly used it years later um to help yokozuna defeat brett at wrestlemania 9 and very memorable yeah, but that was that that kind of became his thing, and and it makes you wonder if, you know, was this was bloodsport one of the first times we have actually seen that kind of underhanded tactic before? You know, the 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 yeah. power, even though it wasn't salt, I I would love to know what exactly that chemical was that started out right. as a little pill form. Yeah. It was just very easy to crush up, blinded and him. caused Frank Dukes to kind of have this fisheye lens uh or Vaseline on on his eyes yeah yeah the dilated pupils and and that was something too that friends and I would do whenever um I remember one time going to basketball camp in El Paso and there was this really heavy rain and a friend of mine who had gone to camp with me like we were out there kind of playing in the rain which lended itself more so to like a cyborg type scene where he's in the rain but we would always be doing the frank dukes like "Ah!" (laughs) yelling and i can only imagine the neighbors Uh, probably oh my god what is wrong with these kids that's funny Um, but everyone's done that i think at some point uh if you if you're a bloodsport fan where you might get something in your eye or even just playing around where you're just like Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean I did it in the shower.
1: I would do yeah. it in the shower after I put shampoo in my hair, I'd be recreating that scene trying yeah. not to <laughs> trying not trying to grab uh, you know the soap or the 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 scrub brush or whatever. I can do this. I can I can go into the kumache now.
3: Oh it's so good. Yeah, you just have to think back to when you caught fish with a blindfold on. Of course, yeah. who
1: who hasn't tried that?
3: it's easy now
1: come on yeah. score I mean nothing nothing beats the image of Jean-Claude Van Damme right after kicking the crap out of Chong Lee and winning the winning the
3: entire thing yeah I love it I love that they didn't play off of you know it would have been so easy for them to rip off something like Karate Kid see no treat no surrender obviously um, but but so many of the just the the training bits and the the character building bits for all the characters i mean it was just there was so much originality and blood yeah. and i think obviously that's why it's been copied still to this day um it's because it was just it was so fresh it's like what a fresh film yeah and you hear the you hear the stories about how it really didn't test well at all. Nope. And I think this was the case for a few of those Canon films that Van Dam started off with. I know the same thing happened with uh, kickboxer, I believe and, and cyborg and cyborg. Yeah. Where he went and apparently edited the whole thing on, you know, re-edited it himself and cut it together himself. And then it became kind of this big hit. Um, but I mean, can you imagine, you know, being in like Times Square or something at the time when this was released and seeing that massive shot of him doing the flying kick to, to Chong Li? And... Right. That's how films should be marketed, you know? And, yeah. But I guess times are just not so kind to martial arts genre films, you know, like when would when, when have we ever when was the last time we've seen something like that get that kind of Um. Uh, You know that kind of like a marketing, um, yeah, just gussied up like that, right?
1: Well, I think that era is over, unfortunately. Like like you said with wrestling, you know, uh, the the larger than life, colorful characters, the factions that we had back then that looked a certain way, you know, we're never going to have the that Chuck Stallone, Schwarzenegger, JCVD you know, for like the four horsemen or the, what do you call it, Mount Rushmore of action heroes sure. um, from that era. And, but, but fortunately we still have this film and it stays the test of the time. Yeah. There's cheesy moments, but shit, there's cheesy moments with every uh, martial art action movie. And th- they do not outshine the, 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 the fact that this movie has, it checks all the boxes off montages, right. music, colorful characters, compelling storyline uh whether it's true or not it doesn't even matter now what matters is the fact that it's it it's it's better than the truth it's you
3: know i mean how blown away were you all at the very end when you would get that pause that little still frame with there and it would literally have a paragraph of saying how it was claiming to be a true story and you're just you think like oh my god yeah what oh this is yeah. that's the perfect
2: film i'm sure there's a lot more like that out there that we just don't know about. And I do think that, that the action stars will come back. I do think we will get that. I agree. Get that again.
3: I agree.
1: I appreciate your guys, uh, positivity.
3: (laughs) I mean, you know, you look at someone like Scott Atkins, who, I don't know. I'm sure y'all saw that, the clip of, or his picture for the most recent John Wick, which looks insane. He looks like, uh, Colin Farrell's penguin. Um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre, right? But you would think, you know, someone kind of like a Scott Atkins could. I mean, that's kind of the closest thing I can think of right now in terms of just a uh, bankable martial arts star. Yep. But you still, its most of his work is straight to video, you know, or DTV or, or whatever. Um, so it is neat to see him getting... Uh, a bigger role kind of in a john wick film but but in terms of yeah like thinking when when will they hype up big action movies like that again i mean i guess john wick would be the closest we'll have um but yeah. that's usually going to just be a still shot of keanu or something maybe he's doing guns i'm, I'm not really sure but that's guns you know what right. i mean like we right. want yeah. fists and kicks and the same spin kick from different angles over and over again I mean, those are the things that make these films so beautiful to watch and stand the test of time. Right, you know, that's really
1: right. Do. It fought to survive and it lived. Yeah, it's still so <laughs> really exciting. quick. I just want to say the lyrics. The lyrics in uh, "Fight to Survive," where he's like, "What does what does he say?" Um, he says, "Perfect timing, tight as a drum." That's a line in the song. I used to think he said, "Perfect tiny,
3: tight as a drum." Well, and like actually, it still applies. Funny enough. This was, I believe, the first of, not the bare-ass Jean-Claude-ass shot, but this would be the first of his showing his ass as he's putting on his mantis. Yes. um, You know, after having the the evening seducing our uh, favorite reporter Mm -hmm. undercover. Yes. Um, But then I think it would have probably been Lionheart was the first where you get the full-ass exposure I remember seeing something, I think, where I don't know if it was Sheldon Ledich maybe, who might have said it in one of the extras I'd seen on one of the films, probably Reinhardt, where he was talking about how, like, what a smart choice that Van Damme knew that he could appeal to both men and women and kind of tried to kind of make himself this sex symbol. And I'm sure it worked for a long period of time. I mean, I'm sure there's still people that pause that scene um oh yeah uh, for sure for sure yeah is the really the kind of the first little butt exposure um can't say ass unless it's like totally exposed you know which then we would get more of obviously lionheart universal souls more cheek cheek glances yeah yeah Yeah, listen i mean who who uh, credit goes to the uh, who would that be i guess the the makeup department or maybe just some sad pa Who's you know told like you need to go spray his glisten it needs more glistening glisten like it needs, you know
2: Ask glisten department
3: yeah. yeah you know I mean I want to hear from these people
2: yeah really
3: <laughs> we need more oil Menahem's yeah. like I'm on it
1: don't worry I got it
2: <laughs> DVD extras is just devoted to to butt glisten's you know yeah that'd be good
1: well Paul uh, we got to wrap up but we can oh, continue yeah. to talk about blood sports, Jean-Claude Van Damme. We didn't even get a chance to really touch upon some wrestling stories. Uh, maybe we can have you back on Who and do a little
2: them? bit of that. Who needs them?
3: When Who needs, them? needs them?
1: How about some 88 wrestling stories? The, the heyday, what, what we yeah. love to watch way back when, um, but having you on was, was a pleasure for our 100th episode. Thank you so much for joining
3: Dungy. us. Uh, thank you guys. Absolute pleasure on my end. I mean, this is, uh, this is my kumite as well you know so i'm very uh very honored you all had me on to speak uh all things we could on Bloodsport. okay usa
2: well thank you so much thank you paul really appreciate it
3: no thank you guys this is a lot of fun you guys are a riot man Perfect timing, timing. And I just wanted to say
0: goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win,
2: even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to
1: subscribe and give us a four. Is it five star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five star rating on iTunes. We really.